Again, welcome to all of you here in person at the Temple of Light at Ananda Village. And also a special welcome to all those viewing online. I am Nayaswami Pranabha, and with me is Nayaswami Parvati, and today we have the privilege of our guest speaker, Sundara. This reading is taken from Rays of the One Light with commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Today's focus is, does God hide the truth? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In last week's reading, we saw that the great masters themselves counseled discretion in the dissemination of truth. The counter-argument is sometimes made, but the Lord doesn't hide. He reveals his beauty in the sunsets, his tender sympathy in the rain, his wrath in the thunder, his restless energy in the brooks, his power in the sunlight. There are esoteric truths, and there are also esoteric truths. There is that which is revealed impersonally and left up to us to interpret, such as the thunder and our perception as it, it as divine wrath, the rain and our perception of it as God's sympathy. But behind even God's most open expressions, there lies impenetrable mystery. The wind blows where it will, said Jesus in chapter three of the Gospel of St. John. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Sri Krishna says in the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, by me the whole vast universe of things is spread abroad. By me the unmanifest. In me all, all are all existences contained, not I in them. God's hidden reality cannot be understood by the reasoning faculty. India's Shankya philosophy states frankly, Ishwar Ashida, God is not provable. A willingness to seek the underlying reality behind appearances is essential for those who would know God. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. <coughs> Om, Om, Om. Good morning, great souls. Thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for joining online. The reading this morning from Whispers from Eternity. Demand for the opening of spiritual temple doors everywhere. O Father, when I was blind, I found not a door which led to thee. But now that thou hast opened my eyes, I find doors everywhere through the hearts of flowers, through the voice of friendship, through sweet memories of all lovely experiences. Every gust of my prayer opens a new door in the vast temple of thy presence. I was so touched by that last line. 
Every gust of my prayer opens a new door to the vast temple of thy presence. God's presence is so vast, but yet there are those doors that are not opened. And we don't know what necessarily is behind those doors, but when we have that yearning, we have that prayer, even just a gust can help to reveal God's presence that could be hidden. I asked this question, does God hide the truth, which is the topic today of Sunday service, and I got two uh, uh, opposing answers, which I was very grateful for. The first answer I got when I asked, does God hide the truth? And they said, of course God hides the truth. It's called Maya. I asked this to another person, does God hide the truth? And they said, no, of course not. You can see God's beauty in all of creation. As it says in this Whispers readings, you know, in the flowers, in friendships. And this second answer that was given about, you know, God is not hidden, it's God is in all of creation and all of nature, really resonated with me because of the affinity that I have for communing with nature. And I was uh, 16 years old. I was on an outward bound trip, in, which is a, a wilderness trip in the back in west, in the west coast here. I was in Colorado for two weeks, backpacking in the Colorado Rockies, and then I went to do a river trip on the Green River, um, which is basically one of the most desolate, remote areas of the United States. And being from the city, and then going into this most desolate, remote areas of the country, it was a contrast, and it was, had a profound effect. And as we were going down the river, there was a time when it was, it was after a long day of rafting, and we went, just went through a series of rapids, and after we went through that series of rapids, we pulled over onto the sandy beach. The sun was getting lower in the sky. And we set up camp, and I went to find my own special spot to set up camp on the sandy beach. And to describe the scene for you a little bit, imagine the Colorado River going through the Grand Canyon. I mean, this is just a smaller version of that. So we have this massive, wide river, brown river, surrounded by these massive brown canyon walls, and I sat there overlooking the wall in front of me, and the water in front of me was very calm and placid, and there was this, a gentle, warm breeze, and I looked out at the canyon walls, and, and the, it was lit up by the sunlight of the evening sun, and in that moment, the doors of God's presence was open to me, and it was it was so profound. I didn't realize it at the time, but that was the kind of the beginning of my kind of spiritual search. And so the question is, I think in many ways, it's not does God hide the truth because it will always be debatable, but how do we experience God's truth in our lives, when, especially when we need it most? There's a wonderful story about uh, a devotee who wasn't a devotee at the time. At the time, he was a fundamentalist Christian, and he, he said he was very rigid with dogma and doctrine. And just, this is the way, no other way. And then his uncle, who was an Ananda devotee, asked him if he wanted to go to India with him because his wife wasn't able to go. She got sick. And so this man, Marlon, went with him to India. And his uncle sent him a copy of Autobiography of a Yogi to read. And he said, you should read the chapter on Babaji because this is a pilgrimage to Babaji's cave we're going to. So Marlon read this chapter on Babaji's cave, on, on Babaji. And he 
He said, yeah, that's interesting, but that's really not for me. So he goes to India. They have a meeting with Swami Kriyananda. And after the satsang, Swami is leaving. He goes up to Marland, whose name now is Rajananda. And he goes up to Marland, or Rajananda, who is six foot eight tall, tall, weighs about 250 pounds. And Swami says to him, you're in for quite an adventure. And then he taps him three times on the spiritual eye and he said, but you must keep an open mind. And then he taps him three times in the heart, but more importantly, you must keep an open heart. And he said, you're in for quite an adventure. So the adventure begins. They go to Babaji's cave, and once they're in Babaji's cave, it's monsoon season, and it just starts raining cats and dogs. And he, Marlon Rajananda said it was raining so hard that you really, you could, you could barely see in front of you. And the group, as they were walking from Babaji's cave back to the bus, started kind of getting longer and longer, and he was kind of by himself. And the rain was coming down so hard, it was like rivers were coming down the hillside. And the red mud was just, it was getting wet, and it was just getting very slippery. He couldn't see where he was going, and all of a sudden he slips, he falls, and he starts going down into a ditch. And he knew that if he was to go into that ditch, he never would have been found. He grabs onto a root, he holds the root, and then he cries out, God, I did not come to India to die. <laughs> and at that moment, a hand pulls him up. And he thought, he has assumed it was somebody from the group. The hand pulls him up, and it's a small boy. Remember, Rajananda is six foot eight, 250 pounds. This boy was maybe 11 years old. And he's carrying a gourd in his left hand. So he, he just pulled Rajananda up effortlessly with his right hand. And he pulls him up, and then he points him in the direction. And he starts walking him back to the bus. As they're walking back in the bus, he keeps, Rajananda starts to slip and lose his footing. And the boy says, trust me. And then he was able to walk. Fine. And as they continue walking, Rajananda noticed something very interesting. And that was that the boy was not wet at all amidst the, the monsoon. And that Rajananda's own clothes were starting to dry. And that there was a bubble of dryness around them amidst the monsoon outside. Is that interesting? So they get back to the vehicle and, or get back to around the area where you could see the vehicle in the distance into a field. And Rajananda goes in his pouch to give the boy some money. And by the time he looks down, looks back up, the boy's gone completely. And he says there's nowhere he could have gone and ran real quickly. It just wasn't possible. So they have this experience. He tells everybody, he said that was, that very well could have been Babaji or Babaji's blessings. And so they go back to Swami, and Swami said, Rajananda looks at Swami. They don't say anything at first, they just laugh. And, and Swami said, it was quite an experience, wasn't it? <laughs> and I share this story because so often, you know, in the Bible we hear these miraculous occurrences. In autobiography of a yogi, we hear these miraculous occurrences. But sometimes we don't think that these things can happen to us. And while we might not have an experience like that, 
Remember what it says in the beginning of the autobiography, the, the quote from the Bible, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. We think that this podium here is solid, but we know in reality it's not solid. We think that we are fixed in our karma and our circumstances in life, and there's no way out of it. But as we know, that's not true. That's the whole purpose of the spiritual path, that we can transcend our karma. And stories like this help us to remember that there's something so much going on that we can't, the reasoning mind that it says in the reading can't understand. And, you know, I was, I've always been interested in Vedic astrology. I found it very helpful. But recently, I haven't been finding it very helpful. Because I've been looking at my chart, and I look at the things where supposedly it's fixed, and it cannot be transcended. And that's not very helpful. <laughs> because if, I get in, if we get into that mindset that this is how it is, there's no way out, then there's no way out. But Master had a whole chapter in autobiography called Outwitting the Stars. He was supposed to be married, what, three times? And he outwitted the stars. You know, when we love God, when we practice these techniques, we can transcend the limitations and the circumstances of our life. The other part of this story that I found so touching with Rajananda was the moment that he cried out, God, help! God was there. When we cry out with a yearning to God, I need help, I can't do this alone, God will come down and help. Master said in the autobiography, seldom do men realize how often God heeds their prayers. He is not partial to a few, but listens to everyone who approaches him trustingly. His children should ever have implicit faith in the loving kindness of their omnipresent Father. God's only purpose in life is to help us. He's just waiting, but we have to, to reach up to help, to ask for that help. You know, when we pray, Master teaches us, when we have a, a prayer we want, we broadcast the prayer at the spiritual eye and, and feel for it in the heart. You know, we think of prayer as talking to God, meditation of listening. We have to really listen and get quiet so that when we have this journey in this prayer, those whispers can enter us and, and be revealed to us. There's a story in Autobiography of a Yogi. The, the ashram at the Expanding Light, we've been, every other week, we've been having Autobiography of a Yogi study group and just trying to read certain chapters, but with fresh eyes. And so with this chapter, The Cauliflower Robbery, the, the story that most of us know is of, you know, Yogananda grew the cauliflowers, and he hides them under his bed, and then Sri Yukteswar said, you didn't lock the door, and then, you know, one of the cauliflowers is missing. That's kind of the main thing we remember. But later in that chapter, we forget that the whole chapter was, you know, Master and the disciples were preparing that week for the, um, a religious procession that Sri Teshwar was giving. So it comes to the day of the religious procession. It's in the morning. All the devotees are going through the streets and barefoot, they have some, one of the disciples has a flute, cymbals, drums. This is a joyous occasion. They're walking through the streets. All the streets are lined with, with people from the area, and they're throwing flowers down before all the devotees as they just are joyously processing through the streets. Eventually, they process to Sri Teshwar's ashram. And once they're there, Sri Teshwar's in the middle. All the devotees 
surround him, and from the balconies above, they're throwing marigolds down onto them. And at, after this event, other devotees are inside. They're all cooking for hours, for days. And they're cooking you know, lentils and curry and rice and kheer. And during that time, there's a kirtan going on down, down below. And then after the kirtan, when the stars come out, Swami Sri Teshwar gives a discourse. And then after that, it's 10 o'clock. And then that's when every, all the cleanup has to begin for a couple of hours. And it's midnight by that time. And so what did Sri Yukteswar say to Master? I'm very pleased with your cheerful labors. And that's a very important point we can often forget. And then they go to bed. And then shortly after, Swami Sri Yukteswar wakes up and he gets dressed and he says, you know, some students have missed a train. We should cook, I'm going to cook some food for them. And Master doesn't believe that's actually the case. And he says, well, I'm going out to cook. And instantly, Master gets up and starts cooking with him. And Sri Teshwar says, you have, over, you have just overcome fatigue and the fear of tiredness. They will never bother you again. He's overcome this fear of fatigue. And what did he say to him earlier? I'm pleased by your cheerful attitude and your cheerful labors during this time. So often, God is revealed to us by our consciousness, especially when we're challenged, especially when we're tired, when we think we can only give so much more, and we say, God, you flow through me. You can do so much more. When we have that upward attitude, that's when these, this grace can come and God can be revealed. And one of the lines of this reading today was, a willingness to know the underlining reality behind appearances is essential for those who would know God. We have to have that willingness in all that we do. It's not easy sometimes. But when we do do it, it somehow opens the, the floodgates of God's grace to come into us. In 1803, uh, the United States had recently purchased uh, the Louisiana Territory. At this time, it was just the 13 colonies of the United States. And Thomas Jefferson, the president at the time, he commissioned William Clark and Meriwether Lewis to explore, for the most part, unexpected territory west of the Mississippi. Now, of course, we know there are people living there, Native American tribes and such, but most of the people in the 13 colonies had no idea what was kind of west of the Mississippi and this newly acquired uh, purchase of the Louisiana Territory. So it took Mary, Lewis and Clark about two years to explore this territory. And along the way, there were many struggles. They had disease, they had uh, starvation and famine, and um, there were some tr hostile tribes, there were some tribes that were very friendly to them. They, didn't, they got lost, and it w of course it was not easy. There was no, you know, you're not gonna take like Route 80 all the way out. And so it was unexplored territory that they didn't know where they were going. Um, but eventually they reached the Pacific Ocean. And what does he say as he sees, what does uh, William Clark say as he sees that vast, expansive Pacific Ocean? Oh, what joy. Oh, what joy. 
Oh, what joy there is when we go through our lives and even when it's difficult, even when there's challenges, when we have that cheerfulness, when we have that willingness, when we are constantly calling on God and Guru for help, what joy there will be. As Master said, a joy beyond the imagination of expectancy. I'd like to read from you, for you just a few words of Master. Please close your eyes. There is one thing you will never tire of, either in this life or throughout eternity. And that is the ever new joy realized in God contact. Joy that is always the same may cause boredom, but joy that is ever new will last forever. Such joy can only be found in deep meditation. God is the fountain of all our joys in all our manifestations in nature. God is the fountain of all our joys in all our manifestations in nature. So may we seek God behind every flower, behind every smile, behind every friendship, behind every struggle, behind every hardship, and remember that the masters are here to help us. Their only job is here to love us. And the more we can tune into our consciousness, we will explore a territory beyond our wildest dreams as we find and live in God's bliss forever. God bless you.